discipleship of the children. So, gospel environment, heart-oriented, target of the heart of not creating an environment that has performance expectations, rules for rules' sake, control of behavior for control's sake, gospel message. Um, thank you. And um, what does that imply? It implies we, the gospel drives our life, and we want our home to be an environment of discipleship, which implies there's a gospel message and then there's what follows that okay discipleship requires reborn born again believers true you know so we will be growing in faith we will that message will be in the message of our home and this this isn't in the notes your children it is a successful thing to see a child trust the Lord and walk with God whenever that might be and sweep streets or be the president, okay? If they honor God, done, okay? If they make $10 a week or $10 million a week, because guess what? This world passes away, okay? So be careful of how you're designing everything you're doing with this idea in view of where they're going to point one day. But if they point to Christ and grow in Him, whatever they do, they can honor God. Okay? So just remember that. That's behind all this. So, uh, discipleship and the gospel. See the opportunities in the routine activities of life as well in the difficulties. We don't want to just be good with our gospel message in the home when the home breaks down or when the child's in trouble. Help them learn to delight and love the Lord because of His beauty. Period. Don't just be a corrective gospel parent. <laughs> the gospel is not the punishment. Okay? The gospel is the language of life. It shapes the home. Pray that God would give you words fitting for the time and the situation. <clears throat> Meditate on the gospel yourself. Meditate on those truths so that you can call them to mind and refer to them in the various situations that life brings. You know, understanding we're separated from God, understanding substitutionary atonement, that Jesus died in our place, that He bore our sin, that I was made in God's image to know Him, but I got separated Him through Him. I choose to Put other things in front of him. My sin is real. It deserves a punishment. All those little elements apply in so many different conversations and moments of life. Um, Help them understand that, that dissatisfaction we all pass through in life in this fallen world is normal because it's, it's like you're crying out. I can only be satisfied in God. I can do all this other stuff, and I love this other stuff. 
but it's not to satisfy my soul. So all those gospel elements, pray God helps you find a way of introducing those in conversation. Realize that the methods and instruction you use should grow and adapt to the phase of life the child is in. Um, <clears throat> that's the trick I kind of implied there for Brenda and I with, in a sense, two, two families, the older two and the younger two, and, and, and doing that at the same time. Um, and each of your families is designed uniquely too, you know, so you have those opportunities of, uh, flexibility and trusting God for, so be sure that as they age, you realize you're building into a future peer and friend for all of life. Help them to take on the responsibilities of living their life before God. This is something that I saw as the kids grew. Kind of a transferring of this language of their faith to them. Uh, the scary part is the letting go and that trust that hmm, they can make decisions apart from me. They may make wrong decisions apart from me. They may choose a road that leads away from this language we talk in our home. But God's not done with them yet. They're not in a box in the ground. He's still working in their life. The gospel is still applicable to their life. They may learn more off that side road in the weeds about his grace than they would ever have gotten in our home. So don't let the fear of a wrong turn be the end of what you think is your message to them. So as as they grow, you know, the young ones, the language can be simpler. The middle ones, you're blending, right? The old... <laughs> Excuse me. The older ones, I've used the word peer. I've said that probably to several of you through the months or years in the past. There's a realization that, that the faith, that the gospel that we're speaking to them is having its individual impact on them, not because... They're in this family. Does that make sense? God works in them. Trust that. Trust that as you're talking and they're making those wrong decisions and you're offering the same biblical wisdom and hope that you would give to your friend, that God's working in them now and will work in them if they get farther away. <clears throat> realize you're building that comment about a peer. Um, just just think practically. They're two years old, they're five years old, they're ten years old. That level of influence and direct, I'm going to use the word control, right, impact in their life, it needs to change. Because if we, if we employ the strength of direction and and continuous effort that we would a two-year-old or a four-year-old to a 15-year-old, you might not like the results you get when they're 15. So realize you're transferring that message and that responsibility to respond to the gospel, to honor God alone 
to those ones because one day you're going to be talking to them like they're going to maybe go get a job at Chicken E or right, you know, and they're going to drive away when they're 16 and, and go get a job. And let's make sure the language we're using is transferring that joy of the wonder of the gospel with that expectation that you are responsible to respond to that. You yourself. Not because you went to Awana with me or you sit in my Sunday school, but that gospel is applicable and powerful to them in that phase. Through those years, does that make any sense? Transferring that responsibility of walking with God and responding to Him. We had a language in our home. I said, when will you let your faith make a difference in the choices you will make? Because it's easy, right? You know, mom and dad, can I go over? Can Mom and dad can. Mom and dad can. And at eight years old, that means one thing. And to a teenager, that means one thing. You know, can we spend the night? Can we go to this movie? Can we do... And those, that answer is going to change. Because two or three years from that question right now with that teenager, they'll probably have the opportunity to make that all by themselves anyway, right? They'll maybe be out of the house, maybe be at college. You get the picture, right? Transfer to them that ownership so that they can walk with God and that they see the need to apply the gospel now. Questions? Confusions? Okay. Okay. Because <clears throat> it's a beautiful thing. It's to talk to them as a peer <laughs> about this. So. So, uh, Ted Tripp. I didn't mention any um, resources, but Tripp's two books, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Teaching a Child's Heart. Buy them, read them, paste them on your nose, the whole bit. Um, when John was young, I read Charles Swindoll's book, You and Your Child. Um, helped me a ton. Very practical. And kind of like this living out faith applied in a, in a parenting relationship. Um, Tripp says, this isn't determinism, and that's my whole point, right? We're not shaping passive clay. That lump of clay, we don't get to shape it, put it in the kiln, cook it, and set it. Make sense? This is a person made in God's image to which God's gospel applies and and the way God works and shapes and the roads taken will bend and fork and get dark and have weeds on them and have sunshine on them. So it's not determinism. Don't think that. Don't think do what Greg said equals good results. Don't think good parenting equals good results. Don't think failure in parenting equals bad results. Okay? Think gospel-driven life, gospel-driven language. A friend the other day said, you know, they're not a computer. We don't, we're not programming them now so that we can start the program and they just go. Like a computer program, right? Just set it and forget it thing. So don't introduce that thinking. Don't let that become in your mind. And then be encouraged. 
That's the, that's the wonder. God cares and knows your concerns. He hears your prayers. He works in the heart of man. He's working in your heart in this very topic. He's working in their heart because you're, they're in your home and you're working in their life. This is God's work. What we see while the children are with us is not the end of their story. Does that make sense? You have them for a time. God is the one who changes hearts. Trust him. And don't trust him with fear. Don't trust him with worry. I realize that's impossible to do, probably, right? Confidently trust him. This is the work he does. His gospel is the work that changes lives. Remember who the sovereign potter is. You can confidently pray to him for help, for the salvation of your children. Be humble and teachable in the role he's given you during the time this is working out. Um, And, you know, don't let, I don't, I often wonder with the, the concept, the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty in salvation, like Jesus told Nicodemus. Wind blows, you don't know where it comes from. God changes man. God, you know, you got to be born again, and it's his work. Don't let that scare you with the, what if it's not going to work in here? That's not the point of God's sovereignty. The point of God's sovereignty is God works and changes hearts. Let's trust the one who does that. Let's not trust the one who doesn't. Let's not trust the building we come to. Making sense? Sovereignty is meant as a hopeful truth, a hopeful doctrine. John Newton said, he said, if I didn't believe, this is a very paraphrased quote, uh, in the sovereignty of God and salvation that God changes hearts, he said, I would have no more hope in doing what I do than in preaching to pigs and cows. Think about that, right? I preach with hope because God changes hearts. So parent with hope. Offer that gospel message in your home with hope, not with fear of the what if. The gospel teaches that we are fallen sinners saved by grace, and we're seeking to evangelize and discipline fallen sinners who happen to be our children. And you get the best, round-the-clock, captive audience. Okay? And you don't even have to go to the street corner to do it and feel all awkward, right? They're there all the time. They wake you up at night. (laughs) Okay? Our hope and confidence in the gospel is the same whether a child is obedient, defiant, or wayward. How about that? Okay? Our message doesn't change if they're obedient, defiant, or wayward. They don't move up or down the rank of mom and dad's favorites if they're obedient, defiant, or wayward. And we definitely don't lose hope over this whole issue if they're defiant or wayward. That just may be the path God chooses to show them their need for him. Don't leave out the realization, no, don't miss the reality that God works in our trials. He works in the trials in my life and in our children's lives. 
And he may do both at once when we have a hard child. Okay? So give thanks and praise God for the strategic role he's given you. <clears throat> and this is just some practicality. Swindoll, this is what I learned from Swindoll. Save my life. Save Jonathan's life. I promise you. Because <laughs> his father was sinful. And he was doing a good job at it too. As a little person. With a big person who didn't know what was going on. Swindoll said, and you need to get to know your children. They're all different. Get to know their uniquenesses. Get to know what language works with them. And I didn't say love language. Um, get to know them. Where do we live from? The heart. What is it? What's driving? Think of those elements of the inner man, the cognition, the will, the decision-making, the loves, the desires. Get to know that child's <coughs> uniqueness, and you will know better how to have conversation and steer them. You will know that this kid can stay up later and do good the next day. This kid, oh, don't even think about it, you know. And you know what I'm saying. You will learn the uniquenesses of the strengths, the weaknesses, the tendencies of the heart is the point that you can then better clarify gospel truths too because we're guarding the heart. Okay. So get to know them. Become a student of your children. Study them. Takes effort. Get that. I, you know, I'm saying this because the the guy in the mirror needed that. Oh my my my. Um, it's a shift in priorities, especially for dad, because typically the home, you know, dad's out working, et cetera, et cetera, gone, whatever. Um, to engage, to commit. To be involved, to learn the children in that way is a, is a time consuming commitment. It's involved, it's involved. Um, yeah. So, uh, special opportunities and hard times, as if I hadn't mentioned any already, I guess. Uh, I, I heard a sermon last week, Mark Dever preached, and, uh, Job's sermon, the sermon out of Job. And uh, obviously the book ripe for uh, how does God work in trial and how does man respond and how do we trust God. And hard things seem to be okay in God's mind. Oh, wow, this is interesting. He said, parents, be very careful and prayerful when you hear your young ones uttering hard questions about the hard things that God allows in your family's life. So careful, prayerful. Perhaps God's excuse. Perhaps God's spirit is stirring in them. Don't make them think that God judges them for their questions, but be tender with them. Show them your own trust in God. Beautiful opportunity for that. Show them your own trust in God. Pray to your Heavenly Father in front of them. Even when you're distressed and grieving, teach them what God has taught us about His loving providence 
for us in Christ Jesus. So there's that gospel. We can't get away from the gospel. God works in his kindness in us through Christ in amazing ways. Don't, I've already told you, don't fear to see the wayward or the defiant. Okay? But also be gentle when you see the wayward and the defiant. Okay? Again, teachable times. Valuable times. Let the child see you don't know how to respond right now. Just, it doesn't mean you sit down and pray for 15 minutes. Just a prayer that, Lord, help us in this. Let them see you do that. Excuse me. Let them see that life by faith involves these things. Okay, we, let's not teach them that obedience and right response to God is a bed of roses from here to the grave. Because, boy, they're going to get hit in the face one day, aren't they? Okay? Let's teach them now the value of trials. Um, I'm jumping ahead of my notes again. Thank God for His goodness to lead you and your family in ways that God can use to teach all of you to trust Him more, depend on Him alone, and learn He is your only good. So, you know, Romans 5 is always just flabbergasted me. Therefore, we have peace with God, and what does He say? Oh, and we also rejoice in our what? In our suffering. No. No, we have peace with God and we don't have suffering, you know. I couldn't find that verse. Help them see that is normal. Help them see what Psalm 16 says. I have no good but you. The, the gospel applied shows not just a solution to sin, but a fulfillment of that hope. Okay? So, now, times like this often bring wonderful opportunities to speak and clarify issues of the heart. But mom and dad, how do we respond in these things when it's hard? Because our, our responses reveal our ruling desires. And I know you guys have heard that around here before. Uh, where do trials and quarrels come from? They come from desires in our heart that aren't met and... We what? We lash out and do things and we fear and we argue and so if wrong desires rule the heart, we will create friction and unrest in the home. And the children will see us responding in inconsistent ways to this message of faith, right? Um, If ruling desire of the heart is to please God, to know Him and to find rest in Him, then hard situations become opportunities to grow. Difficult times with the children can lead to humble and honest conversations with the children about the gospel and its centrality. These situations will build oneness between you two. When when we learn to not avoid, but work through, and I'll, when I say that, I mean... We're working through it because I don't understand how to respond to it just yet. I don't know what's going on. But when we have that conversation, we grow together. When we trust God through that, we grow together. 
The kids get to see a God-centered, gospel-centered life that understands both good days and bad days, joy and pain, and happiness and sorrow. And we learn and we teach not to hide from the problems or respond sinfully to the problems, but we see the truth of Scripture and learn a biblical view of life. So, the gospel in the home for all of life. Next section there. The gospel is a dramatic way to, uh, a dramatic call away from a life based in idolatry. Help me understand that. Talk that out with me. What's Stuart Scott telling us there? Because what we want are what? Our idols. They're those desires. They're that, remember, the inner man. There's that, what's driving me? Because where do we live from? We live from the heart. Out of the heart come, where Jesus said. Okay? So if idols drive worship, idols drive behavior, theology drives life, the gospel allows us to flip that. Let's replace those idols with the right worship, with the desire to please God, with that Psalm 16, I have no good in heaven but you, with where's my true refuge? What's my delight? Okay, what what is my eternal reward? Okay? We, we fight those idols. We replace those idols The gospel is that daily work of doing that very thing. And again, what does the line look like from salvation to glory? Up and down. That's that's what Stuart's talking about. We're replacing things and falling, and we're growing and falling because we are not home yet. So the gospel's dramatic call away from a life based in idolatry and and that message, to me, is the message and the environment we create in the home. Because by saying that, I'm saying, child, I don't expect you to be perfect. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is God's grace is what forgives sin when you trust Him by faith, when you love Him with all your heart. And that's the target. The target isn't perfection. And as we grow, we're going to learn more about our heart that needs to be changed, whether we're 6 or 16 or 60. That will go on because God is faithful to do that work. So the unbeliever is ruled by an regenerate heart, which lives to obtain those desires or idols under his own self-rule. And he's also spiritually dead because of sin. The believer has the Spirit of God alive in him so that the process of heart renewal or sanctification is the lifelong process of renewal, and the gospel is what calls us to that. Repentant faith, faith that turns, faith that believes, faith that moves away, um, depends on God. The gospel gives the believer hope of this daily renewal. And that's what, again, what I want you guys to leave with today, that kind of hope, that kind of confidence 
of God and His work in this process we're talking about today. Not positive thinking. Not, you know, every kid by 18 is going to be saved. That's not the point. Confidence in God. Rest in His sufficient grace. Dependence on Him. With this hopeful view based on the gospel, we demonstrate how the scriptures guide our home and how right theology guides our lives. And it helps us to not impose rules that only aim at behavior. Okay. It's great to get lost in your own notes. <clears throat> so when we don't impose rules out of fear, um, that's that's often easy, I think, in the home. The child or the children seem to be running down this road or that. That looks that looks bad. That looks wrong. The other kids don't do that. And what do we do? We put up a fence. Why? Because we're afraid of what it looks like. We don't want to parent out of that. We don't want to live. That's not life. That's not parenting out of faith. What's better? The children are doing this, going down this road. We talk. We do the things we've been. We pray. We we use the gospel-centered language about discussing these things with the kids to show them maybe a better alternative. And we might design a fence, right? Again, it is going to be standards and rules, but it's going to be heart-centered, gospel-oriented. We're going to marry those two. We're not just going to react out of fear. Make sense? Question? Okay. Uh, here we go. Consider the reality or the myth of controlling the behavior of the children. For one, children belong to who? Who made them? God made them. And again, we get, they're loaned to us for a short time. Okay, I'm 63. I left the home at 18 for college and permanently at 22, you know. And so had a lot more outside of there than under there. And that's reality. And especially in faith. Imagine uh, the the hope that we have of creating that kind of environment and displaying that kind of grace to the children that at a young age they might come to understand they can walk with him in the home. And then when they leave the home, it's theirs to do on their own. This is not just an in-the-home type of life. They belong to him. Since they're his, it's a myth uh, to gain comfort or confidence that we can control their lives because what do they do about 18? They typically leave the home. Okay? Let's prepare them for that. Um, remember, and this is with this comment, remember the difference in heart versus behavior or that we control or that could we control the salvation of their of their souls? Let's have the confidence in Him who saves, and not in our own efforts. Remember the difference between heart and behavior. Heart will drive behavior. Okay. The authority you have over your children 
is given by God and you're accountable to Him to properly carry out that role. Our authority is not simply because we're older or bigger or more powerful. It's a stewardship He's given us to be modeled after how God has parented His people. Um, How did Israel do following their dad? (laughs) Yeah. And how did dad do, God, in responding to them? Okay. So goodness and grace, I think often of Psalm 103. Jot that down. Take a look. Um, How did God treat them when they're sinned? No, he treated us as a father has compassion on his children. He didn't treat them according to their iniquities or, you know, so that there is forgiveness, there is grace. Oh yes, there's Deuteronomy 28. I offered you blessing and cursing. You know, there was, con- there was consequences to sin, but he didn't change on his commitment to them. Um, so think of the extent of that grace as we deal with that type of parenting. So a biblical background needs to help us provide clear guidance to the children, consistent discipline in in an engaged, loving, open environment. Does that make sense? So I'm talking about conversation. Yes, that's kind of magic with three-year-olds and five-year-olds and but it's not like, you know, don't have the college level expectation on the three-year-old, but have the gospel-centered environment, gospel-centered language or umbrella over it. It can be very simple, but help it to be clear and help it to be consistent. Help it to be God-honoring. So in time, they do leave the home. That's basically what we're raising them for. And if you've only exerted control, if you've only guided their behavior because you could, they will easily move out from under that and choose their way. But let's help them do that prepared with the gospel, with the oriented, a life oriented to guarding the heart. Okay? Heart changes the goal. <clears throat> let's look at Galatians 2.20. I bet somebody could quote that for me. Galatians 2.20 to 23. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. But I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Um, That life is a picture of a gospel applied. How's that? Okay. It's a hopeful thing. It's a God with me and sufficient for me today thing. 
And that's in contrast to what Paul told the Galatians about. You remember the passage where he said, you guys are, you've gone back um, to live by these rules. Do not taste, do not touch and stuff like that. And he said, these rules have an appearance of wisdom, but they're of no value to change in the heart, basically. <clears throat> so that's what we're trying to avoid. The heart is only changed and renewed by God. And then here's the last little section here in this. So some challenges to anticipate as we disciple our children. We might get stuck comparing ourselves to others. Mom and Dad, we will battle sinful desires during this process. We tend to want a quick fix, but life in faith is never a quick fix. And, and think about what we're saying when we talk about life by faith. We're talking about we're living with a trust and a dependence on God in situations that we do not ultimately control. And that's our own life in the mirror, and that's life in our home. We trust God, period. He is sufficient. His grace is abundant. And whatever we, whether we're going through trials or raising children, we trust Him. We tend to think that, the, that church attendance and involvement provides an environment that guarantees salvation and Christian growth. You all know the garage principle? You can sleep in the garage and you won't, you won't become a car. Yeah. Neither will showing up here or pick your comparison. <clears throat> All right. When our aim is outward or short term on good behavior, we're going to miss some things. We're going to miss the opportunity of pointing the kids to God. And we're going to miss the opportunity of helping them see the beauty and wonder of the gospel. We've mentioned the Romans 5 passage before. Um, Rather than a behavior focus, we need to engage in the lives of the children with the goal of teaching in order to guide their hearts. We need to allow them to see, uh, we need to help them understand that God wants the worship of their heart, that knowing Him and finding meaning and pleasure in Him alone is what they're made for. We need to allow them to see that heart obedience is right worship and that this is why we choose certain behaviors. We choose behaviors because... We're seeking to honor God and please Him above all things. Allow them to see you pursue God. You confess sin and repent and rearrange your life because of the priority you've chosen to love God above all else. Help them to see the connection between the standards your family chooses and the theological truths and commitments you teach. Connects the Bible to life. Help them translate the stuff they're taught here each week into those aspects of your home and your home's life. Uh, help them see the balance between standards and, beha- and behavior with heart renewal 
because that's the process growing in heart renewal. Help them see the beauty and value of God above all. And remember that they and we too are on a lifelong path of learning to worship God, to be satisfied in Him alone, that the battle with the idols of our heart is real and every day and God will continue His work in us. So we want to parent out of faith and trust and confidence in God and how He works. Think of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He knows what we need before we ask. He knows us. He cares. So that's who we're praying to. How we confidently trust our children's souls to Him. And how we live by confidence and dependence on the Word. I think, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, right? Often memorized, often quoted. His Word is sufficient for you. Think of those things and... Build a confident thanks that the word you have to read and apply and learn from is that complete. A tool sounds a little bit cool. It's that sufficient for you. It will do the things in your life of faith that God, that you need to grow in a way to honor God. We, there's nothing magic. There's no hidden corner. God has given you in Him and His Word that abundant provision. And here we go. For what are we preparing our children? We want them to have a biblical view of life, a biblical theology. We want them to point them to God and His wonderful gospel. And appoint them to repentance and a delight in God, to have that repentant faith. Repentance, turning from. How do you have that conversation with a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old? See, it's going to look different. There's going to be a few different words and specifics in those discussions um, to, to think through that, when we turn from something to, to renew our mind and replace it with biblical truth, with what's right, the Ephesians 4 pattern, the Colossians 3 pattern, uh, help them understand that success in the home and success in school are what? They're ways they can honor God, but success in the home and in the school are not the source of their righteousness. Don't blend those things. Does that make sense? We we honor God, and we honor God. Where's Where's our source of righteousness from? From Christ, right? We were justified in Him. So understand the application of Romans 12, 1 and 2 throughout life. The reasonable response to this wonderful gospel is to offer ourselves to him, our service, our responsible life. We, uh, to offer yourself as a sacrifice, he gets it all. He gets it all. And then what does that look like? Day by day, we're being 
we're saying no to the world. We're saying no to the patterns. I've always said it's the stuff that that I could do without thinking the minute my feet hit the floor. I could be angry at any moment. I can be discontent with things because nothing goes my... You know, all the stuff that just can be the way the world lives. He says, what? Don't be conformed to that any longer, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't let a worldly pattern, an old habit, drive how you do this parenting thing. Offer yourselves as a sacrifice, your spiritual service of worship. Be renewed in your mind and apply that truth. Um, independently apply biblical truths and live by faith. Help them in that. <clears throat> Help them process their decisions and choices, their priorities and desires from a gospel-centered framework. So that's part of that individual. Each child will be different in this because each child's desires and ma- manners of approaching life are different. They see things different. They are different. I think me and Brenda are even a little different from each other. So, right? I mean, the guy or gal sitting next to you, y'all are different. And so let's act like that's true for the children as we tailor our language and our guidance for them. So that way they, the kids, are better equipped to live a life that honors God and find true rest and fulfillment in Him as they leave the home. So we can quit, talk a little bit. Any questions, clarifications?